This Podcast Movement 2022 audio session is brought to you by Supporting Cast, the best way to sell and deliver exclusive podcasts. And special thanks to PM22 Virtual Ticket Presenting Sponsor, Amazon Music. Good morning. How is everybody today? It's day 74 of Podcast Movement, and here we are. Uh, everybody feeling good today? Everybody, like, you know, not go out last night to the party and drink too much? Good. That's always the best thing. That's a tough thing to, to not do that. But, but welcome. This is the last day. We only have a few sessions left here. Uh, I hope you're excited. Uh, this is going to be a really fun one. I love podcast editors. They're my favorite people. Um, see a lot of my favorite people here today. Uh, nobody got hurt with an axe last night at the axe during event. Um, my name is Dan Hughley. I work for a company called Focusrite, and we make audio interfaces for recording any type of content from music to audiobooks to podcasts. And really quickly, I want to tell you, we just created a brand new product called Vocaster. It's right here. It's made specifically for all of you. It is a podcast-specific interface. And it's not just a scarlet with a fresh new face. There's a whole bunch of really great features I'd love to tell you about. But that's not why you're here. You're here to learn from Daryl. Um, so enter to win the cards that were just pass passed out. Uh, you can scan the QR code, and you, actually, you can actually enter to win one of these. It comes with headphones, microphone, and everything, about a $300 value. Uh, so yeah, scan that code, uh, or there's a 10% show special if you want to buy one today. But we're going to learn the podcast editor's growth guide, and this is one I should stick around for. I hate that I have a meeting right now, but it's four essential keys to finding the right clients. It's super important stuff. So let's welcome Mr. Daryl Darnell. Thank you, Dan. Dan's one of my favorite people. To the work you guys do at Focus Right is important, so thank you for that. Thanks to all of you for taking time out of your day uh, for being here today. I'm looking forward to sharing some tips that will hopefully help you grow your podcast editing business, regardless of where you are on that journey. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about my story along the way, uh, in, in as much as it pertains to helping you find clients and hopefully. Hey, lights. Uh, avoid some of the mistakes uh, that I made. I worked for almost 20 years in, uh, in the corporate world. I was the e-commerce director for a chain of bookstores, and that's going to play a little bit of an important role in what we're talking about today. But I left that career in 2013 to go into podcast editing full-time. And, you know, it's a big leap, and took a lot of courage and support from my wife. And that first year was pretty good. I actually got a referral from a guy named Cliff Ravenscraft, who at the time was known as the podcast answer man. And we'll talk more about that a little bit as we go through. But in, in May of 2014, that big client that I had, they ceased operations. And for the next eight months, I couldn't find another client. I had three, I wasn't just the one client, but I only had three remaining clients. And those three remaining clients were not enough to support me and my family. We were just bleeding cash out of our savings account. It came to a point in the fall of 2014 where I'm getting ready for the day and I realize I need razor blades. And this may seem insignificant to some of you who can grow beards like this dude epic beard, my guy. Uh, there are legitimately 14-year-old boys like Kenny here on the first row. 
who can grow more facial hair than I can. My wife recognizes this, and she and I both knew that the prospect of me going without shaving was not something that any of us wanted to experience. Now, like some of you, maybe, uh, I was using a Gillette razor. Like, they sent me the razor in the mail when I turned 18, and I had just been buying cartridges for it ever since. I see some heads nodding. Brilliant marketing on their part, by the way. Those suckers are expensive, though. And so, as my wife and I are like, okay, how are we going to budget for this simple thing called razor blades? I said, you know what? There are some, some cheap things on Amazon. Let me see what I can find. And so, I remember going to Amazon, searching through the catalog, and finding one of those cheaper brand, you know, handle and, and cartridge sets. And that's what I bought. And I spent 20 bucks on those. And at the time, it felt like I was spending a fortune for something that was really extra, that we just didn't have the money to spend. I was, I was reminded of this story because two weeks ago, I had to buy cartridges again for that same razor. I still use it. It serves as a reminder for just how far we've come. And it was no problem to buy cartridges for that razor two weeks ago. And so it serves as a constant reminder of the grind and success that we've come, the progress that we've made since 2013. That was in the fall of 2014. So let's talk about how we got there. Everything in life, everything in business, starts and ends with relationships. Relationships are the most important thing in life, whether it's your personal relationship with those that you're closest to, or like we're talking about today, those business-related relationships. So let's break this down. What do I mean? Well, when it comes to relationships, one of those things is the people that you are looking to serve. And that means starting by identifying your niche. Now, when I started in 2013, I did some Google searching and tried to find who else was out there like me trying to be a podcast editor. And I only found like three other companies doing what I was doing. And I'm sure there were more out there that I wasn't aware of, but there were just the four of us that I could find. And now, I mean, just look around this room. There's a little bit more than four of us there. In fact, there are hundreds, if not thousands, in this country and then certainly around the world that are competitors, if you will. Now, my attitude has always been there are way more podcasters than I can possibly serve, and there is room in this for all of us. And it's important for all of us to be able to serve our clients well, to give them a good experience, and to give our niche within this industry a good reputation and perceived value for the services that we provide. And that's why I do things like this. I'm trying to help all of us get better and serve this community better. But for you, that means you need to identify your niche. There's a lot of us out there today, just like a podcaster needs to niche down when they're creating their podcast, you guys need to niche down and figure out who you can serve. Uh, for example, that could be an area that you, have, that you have expertise or that you're particularly passionate about. I was talking to Kenny just the other day, and he's passionate about real estate. He wants to get into real estate investing. And so my advice to him was niche down and serve that community. That's going to help you build relationships in that community to help you achieve those goals. But it's also something that he's passionate about and will help him connect and, and um, um, build those relationships so he can serve them better. And so identify who your niche is. Who, what is it you're passionate about? What is it you're knowledgeable about? And get involved there. Serve that community. Now, hopefully none of you are guilty of this, but I think we've probably all seen it or somebody makes a post online, maybe it's Facebook or something like that, and then people come in, or maybe you make a connection on, on LinkedIn or Facebook, 
and the first thing they do is they inbox you, hey, I can do this for you. Like that is not serving. That is in fact the opposite of serving. And so get plugged into that community, identify it first, get plugged in and start serving that community. That can come in a variety of ways, but for example, uh, get involved in conversations that are happening there. Share your knowledge and your expertise. Help them by just, by just offering up advice free of charge and those sorts of things. Building those relationships, gaining trust. We're going to talk about that here in just a second. And, and establishing those relationships so that you can serve that community. Serving first and foremost. And then, just like I said, establishing trust. I was talking to Steve Stewart a few weeks ago as I was preparing this presentation and he reminded me that I should definitely put in the presentation the phrase no like, and trust. And we've probably all heard it a thousand times, but it's worth hearing it a thousand and one times. People do business with those that they know, like, and trust. So you get into that niche, you serve that community, you build those relationships, and then comes trust. They'll know you through building those relationships, they'll trust you through the, the way that you served them, and they're more likely to do business with you. Everything centers around relationships. A great book I read this year, maybe my second or third favorite book I've read this year is You Are the Brand by Mike Kim. He puts it this way, marketing isn't about closing a sale, it's about opening a relationship. And oftentimes, and myself included, we, t we focus on closing the sale, and that's important. It's something that we should be skilled in. But before that comes opening a relationship. He also says that we should ask ourselves, who do I have to become in order to serve the people I want to serve? I love that he said the word serve twice there. Serve comes first. He said, do you need to become a better communicator, a more self-aware person, a leader, a risk taker? Introspection is hard, sometimes it's impossible for us. Get somebody else incorporated into this to help you see what needs to change in your own way of communicating, your own way of leading, your way of serving, so that you can develop those relationships the right way. Let's move on. Number two, entice. Entice, what does that mean? Well, there we go. You need to be able to share your USP. We talked about this during the podcast services workshop mastermind on Monday. Uh, some of you who were there uh, might remember us talking about this, but your USP is your unique selling proposition. What sets you apart? There's a handful of us here in the room. What makes you unique? Something makes you unique. Something sets you apart from the competition, and you need to be able to quickly and easily and succinctly verbalize what that is both to those that you come into contact with in person and on your website. We'll talk more about website as we walk through this. Uh, for example, and you can have multiple USPs, by the way. One of mine is my experience in the industry. As I mentioned, I've been doing this since 2013. There weren't a ton of us doing this at that time, so I can lean in on my expertise and longevity within this industry as one of my USPs. So be able to know what your USP is. If you haven't identified that, Stop there, start there, and get that figured out. Number two is leverage your lead magnets. A lead magnet, for those of you who may not be aware, is simply a, a, a product that you offer up on your website that people can gain access to for free 
in exchange for a name and an email address, a downloadable item. And so, although it could be like a physical book or something like that, but most of the time it's gonna be a, a simple downloadable item. We have, a, we have two of them on my website. They're downloadable guides, PDFs. One is to help someone launch their podcast. It's their podcast launch guide, helps them avoid some of the common pitfalls that, that people fall into when they launch their podcast. And the other one is a podcast growth guide and that helps people who have kind of maybe plateaued in their podcast growth to be able to kind of go to the next level with their podcast. Now, one of my clients is Amy Porterfield. She's an online marketing genius. Her podcast is Online Marketing Made Easy. And she talks about the importance of these all the time. And so you might think that I've had this on my website forever and probably in combination to, to my, my own apathy and maybe some arrogance, I only added this to my website a couple months ago. Um, I have not really had a problem getting leads because I've been doing it so long. We, get, we have a lot of clients, we just get a steady stream of referrals from them or articles have been written about our company over the years and those all serve to help me get leads naturally. But that doesn't negate the importance of having a lead magnet on my website and this was illustrated very clear to me uh, when I launched the lead magnet. Now this is not this has not been the pattern that has, has followed since, but this is not an exaggeration. I, added the lead magnet to the website. 56 minutes later, the first person downloaded it. Like 20 something minutes after that, they set up a discovery call with me. The lead magnet included a link to set up a discovery call with me. They set up the call, this was on a Monday, they set up the call for Thursday. We met on Thursday, later that day they became a client. And I was just like, holy smokes, what have I been missing out on because I haven't had this lead magnet? Now, as I said, that has not been the pattern since, but I mean, we've, we've had a lot of downloads and a lot of activity on it, but it's like not that fast or, or, or quick of a, of a turn on that. But it just illustrates the, the importance of having a lead magnet. We'll talk more about that in just a second, but hopefully that's enough to get you to understand the importance of those. And then compensate referrals. As you build relationships within your community, within your niche, I feel like I'm not fancy enough to say niche, is that okay? Okay, we're in Texas, I just feel like nobody here is fancy enough to say niche. Um, but compensate referrals within your niche. Uh, I mentioned, I think I mentioned Cliff Ravenscraft was uh, one of the relationships that I, I built uh, early on in podcasting. Like I had a relationship with him for like seven years prior to me quitting my job to do this full time. Uh, so that when I did quit my job to do this full time, I was able to go to him and say, hey, uh, you're the podcast answer man, do you have a need for a podcast editor in your referral network because he had people that he would refer out if someone came to him that needed something that he himself didn't provide. And I thought for sure by now he has somebody in his referral network that edits podcasts. And much to my surprise, he said, as a matter of fact, I have an email that came in yesterday of a guy that is looking for a podcast editor and I didn't know where I was going to send him. I'd be happy to send him to you. Here are the... Uh, you know, the specifications for becoming a part of my referral network. In other words, here's the commission that I need to earn for every referral I send you that converts into a client. And it was very reasonable. And so we set that up, and now I became a part of Cliff Ravenscraft's referral network, and that was really helpful when I was first getting started. And there are a lot of ways that you can compensate referrals. Cliff took a percentage of the first invoice that that client paid me. That worked well for us. And it capped at a certain point, which was nice, um, although it didn't have to. Again, it's up to you to help decide how these are going to work. You could do a flat rate compensation. 
uh, another way of doing it that is very appealing for the people who are sending the referrals is to give them a, an ongoing referral commission for the lifetime of the client. So there are a lot of ways that you can set these up and it may vary based on uh, who you're working with. It may, you may just want to have this is my way of compensating referrals. But if that referral turns into a client, compensating that referral and that's going to entice people to send referrals your direction. Okay? So, a great book for this, 80-20 Sales and Marketing by Perry Marshall. This was one of the first books I read when I became an entrepreneur and it's been one that I've repeatedly gone back to because as my business changes and grows, it speaks to me in different ways. But he puts it this way, if you have a lousy answer to what is your USP, you're in trouble before you start. You've got to have your USP figured out. It's that important. And then he says the most valuable asset you own is the customer list you build for yourself. We talked about the importance of those lead magnets and how you get that email in exchange for that lead magnet. Now you have that, uh, that person that you can then market back to. When somebody gets my lead magnet, it puts them into a drip campaign. They're going to get a series of six more emails over the next four weeks. Each one of those emails is going to give them tips and share knowledge. So I'm serving them, helping them with their podcast. I'm giving them my experience that I've learned free of charge. It's all stuff that they can actually take action on. And as I mentioned, there is a book a discovery call link in every one of those emails. And so I'm able to leverage that email that they've shared with me and build that relationship. And so that customer list is the most valuable asset that you own. You've got to be capturing those emails and then nurturing those relationships. All right, moving on to advertise. Now, let's just get this out of the way. First, I'm not talking about Google Face, okay? Google and Facebook are great, they have their place, but I'm sure for a lot of us, those are cost prohibitive, or we don't understand them. Taking the time to get to know them is another roadblock, or maybe hiring somebody who does know that stuff is even more expense, and so let's just get those out of the way. Those are great and have their place, and I encourage you to leverage those as you're able, but for today, let's just push those aside. Instead, let's go back to the niche. Locate your niche and think about ways that you can advertise within that niche. Maybe that's a local marketing group or networking group. Uh, maybe that is an online group. Maybe it's on Facebook or maybe some other location. Maybe they have a newsletter that they send out that you can be a part of or a website that people are going to within your niche. Maybe you can advertise within that, uh, that website. But figure out where your niche is and what type of marketing or advertising opportunities are available to you where that niche is located. And create partnerships. You should always be looking to build relationships. Partnerships is another word for relationships, right? A partnership is a relationship that works both ways, which hopefully any healthy relationship, that's a good definition for that as well. So it's all about relationships like we talked about. But here's an example of a partnership. Uh, there's a guy here at the conference, actually. His name's Glenn the Geek, real tall guy with a cowboy hat. The light-colored cowboy hat. There's another really tall guy with a dark cowboy hat. I hear he's awesome. I haven't had a chance to meet him. But Glenn the Geek is awesome. I've met him. He's great. And he's been podcasting for almost 20 years. And one of the early things he did with his podcast, Horses in the Morning, is he went to a trade magazine. He flipped to the back where all the ads are, and he found a tiny little ad and he thought to himself, I bet this is their entire marketing budget. And they're hoping 
that somebody will flip back here and see this ad and it will somehow convert. And so he called them up and he says, hey, I've got a proposition for you. Uh, and he kind of told them what he thought they were doing and they were like, yeah, that's exactly it. He says, what if I told you I had an opportunity for you to advertise with me and I could guarantee you that everyone would be exposed to your ad? And they said, tell me more. And he says, I have a podcast and every listener will hear your ad. And so they said, you know what? Let's try it. What does it hurt? That was almost 20 years ago. They're still advertising with him today. It was a partnership that worked. Okay, so how does that translate to us? Well, let me tell you about one of my most trusted employees that I have with my company. His name is Jody. A few years ago, maybe five years ago, six years ago, I was at a point where I was struggling to keep up with the demand of launching all the podcasters that were coming to us for help. I was a bottleneck. Things were getting dropped. It was not good. I was listening to a podcast, and there was an ad on there from a guy named Jody who said he could help you launch your podcast. And I had known of Jody through other circles. And so I called up Jody and I said, hey, I'd like to chat with you about your skills. And we met and we talked it over. And it turned out it was a great fit for both of us for him to come be a part of our team. And now he is the guy when all of our clients or prospects need technical help or helping launch their podcast. I found him because of an ad he placed in a podcast that was in my niche. And so think about where those opportunities are that you can advertise and inform people about your services and connect there. Really cool quote here from Russell Brunson in his book, Traffic Secrets. I forgot, I've got these books up here. Here's Traffic Secrets so you see it in the fleshy flesh. He says, your target market is a place, not a person. So many, so many times if I were to ask someone, uh, where's your target market? Where's your marketplace? Or what is your market? They're going to tell me a description of a person. But they're thinking about it the wrong way. And that's the way I thought about it until he enlightened me. He says, think of a marketplace. It's a place where people go to buy things. So when you're thinking about how to connect with people, again, think of a location where they are, online or physically. He says the question is not who is your market, the question is where is your market? And when you have this shift in your thinking, you will all of a sudden, your eyes will be open to opportunities that have been available to you the whole time that you just didn't see because you were thinking about it backwards. All right, final point here is diagnose. And this can be a little bit painful, but it's necessary. We're going to start with your website. If you don't have a website, that's like priority. We've got like three priority ones here. One is niching down. One is knowing what your USP is. And one is getting your website. You should be working on all three of those. They're all really, really important. But you need to evaluate your website. And maybe you need to get some help on this. Like have somebody who's not biased, look at your website, and then tell you, what is my website saying to you? This became painfully clear to me in the razor blade era, okay? So Cliff sent me a referral. Her name was Linda. Now, up to that time, I had been using my podcast network website, Golden Spiral Media, to serve all of my podcasting production clients. So Golden Spiral Media had a reputation for those that knew us as high production value podcasting. 
And people who did listen to us occasionally came to me and said, hey, I've noticed your production value is really good. Can you help me launch a podcast? But that was only for people who knew us in that space. But I thought that was the right move to make. And so when I launched my business, I leveraged Golden Spiral Media for that. And then Cliff sent me Linda as a referral in uh, like the late summer, maybe early fall of 2014. She emailed me and she said, Daryl, I've been looking at your website and I'm going to take a pass. I don't think you're the right fit for me. She said, I went to your website and I saw a bunch of podcasts about sci-fi TV shows and a single page about how you do podcasting or podcast editing for others. And I'm looking for somebody who's full-time in the business. I replied to Linda and I said, I'm full-time in the business. This is how I'm trying to provide for my family and put food on the table. And she said, oh, okay, well, let's meet. And so we met, and thankfully I was able to convert her into a client. But the insight that she gave me changed everything. I now understood what people saw when they came to my website, not what I saw when I came to my website. And so I created a standalone brand, Pro Podcast Solutions. We had gone eight months without landing a new client. Linda came along, she did convert. But after that, after we created Pro Podcast Solutions, Every single month since, we've added new clients, multiple clients, at least a single, and then multiple, multiple, multiple. It was just hockey stick growth after I became clear with my messaging. I wish somebody had told me sooner not to leverage my existing website for my podcasting. Somebody came to my booth. We've got a booth here in the expo hall yesterday. Someone came to me yesterday, and she said, I'm really struggling with my podcast editor because... He's a music guy, and I'm the only podcast editor or podcaster he has, and it's clear he doesn't know podcasting. And I've seen it time and time again where somebody comes into this space to try to do what we do, and they're coming in from a background that's not podcasting, music production, radio production, maybe even videography, wedding videos, or some other video production, and they don't understand podcasting. And if that describes you, I would encourage you to pump the brakes a little bit Start your own podcast, get involved with the podcasting community, understand the podcasting community because podcasting is different from all of those other things I just described. And in order to be able to truly serve this community, you really need to understand this community. And trying to leverage your wedding videography website or your music production website as now a podcast production website is not communicating what you think it is. Also, Survey the community. We've talked a lot about community and niching down, getting involved, building relationships. And so by now you've done that, and now you can survey them. Find out what their pain points are, and then offer what they want. When you build those relationships and you can talk to them and figure out what their pain points are, you can figure out where they need to be served. And always have those dialogues open, even with your clients. Find out what it is that they need. When I first started out, I offered one service. It's what we now call our pro editing service. We do the full deep dive clean, all the ums and ahs and that sort of thing. Eventually, people started coming to me going, I don't need that. I'm a professional speaker. I don't have ums and ahs. Or I've got a few ums and ahs, not many, but I don't mind them being in there. I feel like it keeps me more authentic that way. Uh, do you have a service that doesn't do all that? And so I created a lower editing service we call our starter editing service. People started asking me, hey, do you offer show notes? 
I hate writing show notes, and so I had to make a decision. I can choose not to offer this as a service, that's an option, or I can figure out a way to serve my, my clients in this way. And so we added team members that do like to write show notes, those sickos who think that that's fun. You know, I'm a sicko that thinks editing is fun, and that's fine. Uh, we all have our you know, weaknesses, I suppose. But uh, we, we identified where they needed to be served, where they wanted to be served, and we added those services. And you can still say, hey, that's not a service that we provide. Video editing, not a service that we provide. Will we at some point in the future? Maybe. But right now we don't. And it's okay. But I'm just saying, if you'll survey your audience, find out what their pain points are, you'll identify what they need, and then offer what, the, what those needs are. And maybe it's not always something that you want to do, but at least you'll be able to make an educated decision on that. Again, with Russell Brunson with his book, Dot Com Secrets. Again, got it here in the fleshy flesh. Here we go. I don't know if those on the live stream can really see it. But he puts it this way. One of the fundamental rules of marketing is that a confused mind always says no. Linda came to my website. She was confused. She said no. Now, fortunately, I talked her into being a yes. But her initial response was no, because she was confused. She thought I was something that I wasn't. So again, getting that outside person to take a look at your website, take a look at any of your marketing, your communication pieces, make sure that what you're communicating is clear and giving them a clear path to get engaged with you. This is a good rule for podcasting too. You should be like encouraging your clients to uh, make sure they've got one call to action. If you t give them multiple things to do, they will do zero things. If you give them one thing to do, they will do one thing. He also says a business is not about products and services. A business is about what results you can get for your clients. And talk about the results that you can get. Get testimonials from the people that you work with that present in, in real world experience the results that you got for them. And the results may not have to be a tightly produced podcast. It might be, I can give you your time back. I can help you spend time with your family, your hobbies, your community, creating content. You know, what's the value and the things that you're going to give them in return? That's what they really care about. Okay? So if you've been following along so far, we've talked about relationships, entice, advertise, diagnose. They spell read. We've been talking about books a lot. Books are important. I mentioned that I was the e-commerce director for a chain of bookstores, so it's probably no surprise that reading and books has been important in my life. My bosses early on helped educate me on the importance of reading. And that's something that I've carried on with me now that I'm an entrepreneur. And it doesn't come easy for me. It doesn't come naturally for me. I really have to push myself to read. But my good friend Jeff Brown wrote a great book last year called Read to Lead, and he talks about why reading matters. And he says, reading more and better books creates opportunities for you to learn new skills, rise above your competition, and build a successful career. We now have a team of about 30 on the team of Pro Podcast Solutions, serving just under 200 clients. We've come a long way from the razor blade days. Reading has been a tremendous reason of our, for our success. 
I've shown you books here today uh, that I've read over the years that have made an impact in my life. They'll make an impact in yours too. Here's a few more. I mentioned Read a Lead already. You are the brand I mentioned already. One or two top best books I've read this book are probably second or third. Um, 8020 Sales and Marketing, I mentioned that I continue to go back to that one every year. Uh, and it, it just speaks to me in different ways. The Big Leap is a great book. Uh, Gay Hendricks is the author of that. He has counseled with thousands of folks over the year. And without fail, he has identified one to four things, limiting beliefs that every one of them have. And he helps them identify their limiting beliefs so that they can overcome those things and find the success that they've been afraid to achieve or have been blocked out from. And you may have also heard the phrase, uh, your zone of genius. That's also in that book. He will help you identify those things that really suit your strong skills so that you can work on those things and outsource the rest. The 12-week year, uh, hopefully you're a, a goal setter. Uh, a lot of us set annual goals and maybe we work on them quickly at first and then we kind of forget about them and then the end of the year starts approaching and we're like, oh crap. Uh, the 12-week year helps you squish those runways down so that you can lift off and achieve those goals more quickly. So 12-week year is great. And then you have the Russell Brunson Secrets Trilogy. I talked about two of those here today. We didn't talk about expert secrets. These are like fire hoses of marketing knowledge that will overwhelm you, and that's fine. You won't be able to take them all uh, into action at one time. Jonathan's raising, uh, shaking his head. We were talking about it beforehand. So much good stuff in, the, in that trilogy. Get those, read through them, take notes, and continue to, to go back through those as you implement more and more of his strategies. I saw a lot of you taking pictures of those. Thank you for that. I've also given you a link here, propodcastsolutions.com slash books. Those are affiliate links over to Amazon, uh, just to be you know transparent on that. But um, those are all those books that I recommend. There's so many more, but I wanted to kind of keep it. Here are the fundamentals to start out with. So thank you for your time today. We have just under 10 minutes for questions, and it would be my honor to answer any questions that you have today. My daughter in the front row. Do you really have a question? Okay. Okay. So my first question is, why books as opposed to learning on the Internet? Like, why physical paper books as opposed to just looking it up online? The question is why, because it might have been hard to hear, why physical books instead of just looking it up online? You know, there, I'm not saying books are the only resource. YouTube videos or blogs or other things, podcasts are also great resources. I think the, the spirit of always having the attitude of wanting to learn from others is, is the underlying principle here. But books, you can take notes in those. I love physical books, although digital books are great too. There's something about having that physical book that you can re refer back to really quickly and interact with that I, just nothing is like that for me. Yeah, I, I get that. I like physical things too. Let's, uh, just, let's, let's just do one question. If we can share the mic, we'll come back around. Okay. Okay, thanks. Hi. Hi. Um, so I have a podcast and I, from the very beginning, was editing my own podcast and um, got kind of obsessive with it and uh, didn't really ever pass it off to anyone else to edit because I didn't trust 
anyone else's editorial decisions, and yeah. I, I didn't think anybody would ever spend as much time as I do editing on right. on my own stuff. So in the beginning, I was really slow. Then I got faster, and I learned a lot. And so now I feel like I've, I've got a pretty good I'm got a pretty good skill at it. And so I was wondering if I were to branch out and try to get clients to hire me to edit their podcasts. What would you recommend a good starting rate be? How much time do you spend on people's podcasts? How much editorial, how many editorial decisions do you make um, regarding like moving their um, audio around to like better suit a narrative? I know that's a lot of questions, but I'm, I'm just. Yeah, good questions. I think there's a distinction to be made here between a podcast editor and a podcast producer. A lot of folks use them interchangeably. In fact, the lady who came to my booth yesterday and talked about how her producer is a music guy was really describing an editor. A producer is someone who's working really closely with the client to figure out the, the content of the podcast episodes before they're recorded and then working with them after it's been recorded to really craft what's going on there. Whereas an editor is taking after the recording and maybe even taking direction from the client on pieces that need to be edited out. Like an editor, like for us, for example, we're not the content experts. We lean on our clients to make those decisions. They can give us timestamps or highlighted transcripts and so forth. We're going to be able to improve the audio quality by you know, cleaning just those audio quality pieces of it, the EQing, the compression, the noise reduction, blah, 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 and the removal of obvious things like awkward pauses or repeated uh, phrases, stammerings, crutch phrases, so forth. So being able to distinguish what role you want to take on. If you're going to take on that production role, it's going to be two to three times the price of a, an editor's role. Um, and so figuring out what, what you want that to look like. As far as what the, what the going rate is, those vary wildly. Um, some people charge $1,000 an episode. Some people charge $100 an episode. So it kind of depends on how you've positioned yourself as an expert in that niche um, and the value that you provide your clients, your expertise. Um, a, a great example of niching down is, uh, she's not here, but Brittany Felix is a, an example of this. Uh, she niched down so that she only serves personal coaches. And I think she niched down one more, John, you're shaking your head, maybe you know, to only be female personal coaches. Are you aware? Of, I believe that's right. Yeah. And she doubled or tripled her price when, as she niched down and started making more money than ever before. So the, really, it's yours to test and, and, you know, the sky's the limit. Thank you for your question. You get to choose one of the books that I have here. I have the other two books, by the way, all four that I mentioned in my presentation. Is there one in particular that you would like? Here you go. I'll just put these here on the edge. You can, you can choose and then leave the other three on the corner if you would. All right, next question. Yeah, I had a question about right. pricing. I went to your website while you were talking. And okay. And we've talked before about pricing and stuff. Yep. Uh, why did you decide to go a per episode price instead of a subscription model? I feel like that's kind of where we're at as a subscription model because that money just keeps coming in. I've had clients where they've gone for three months and they've not sent me an episode, but yep. I, their card still gets charged. I do feel a little bad about that, but they signed the contract. They know everything yeah. up front. Why did you decide to go per episode and not subscription? Yeah, I think either option is valid. For me, it was a choice, and I, I leveraged that as a USP. Most people are charging with subscription. It's easier on the back end. As we've grown, our billing and, and invoicing is 
It's our biggest pain point right now, right? And so there's been many times where I've gone, I should have done subscription model. Invoicing would be, you know, no big deal. But <clears throat> I, what I say to our clients, our prospects, is I say, we bill you per episode. At the end of the month, we look at the work that we did. We bill you only for that. We won't bill you for work that we didn't do. And, and we just are building that relationship with you. I even say, and we work on the honor system. You trust us to do good stuff with your audio, and we trust you to pay the bill after we've done the work. And we're, so we're trying to leverage that idea of trust with a relationship from day one. It's worked really well. I haven't always gotten paid, but we've done over $2 million of revenue over the last few years, and we are at like a 99.8% pay that we've received our own, on our invoices. So it's worked pretty good for us, but it's not for everybody. Which book would you like? All right. They're right here. I'm just going to take your pick. Question. I'm gonna, I'm gonna Next question. Yourself. I'm just going to. So my, my question would be, yeah. uh, how, do you how do you identify who would be a good potential partner like for you? Do you mean client or? Like partner to like refer you clients potentially. Yeah. I mean, I don't have a lot of um, a, a lot of areas where I, I wouldn't be. Like, they need to be kind of an expert in their space. Their space needs to be the type of client that we would want to do business with. We haven't really niched down because we haven't needed to. If I were launching today, I would niche down. And in fact, as we're we're seeing some of our growth slow a little bit, I'm like, maybe I start need to start niching down. You know, so I would look for if I were niched down, I would look for experts and and people who are in that industry. Uh, that would be a good referral. But we do have types of clients that are not a good fit for us. The easy example is those in the adult film industry. There are a lot of podcasts on that, and those are great, but they're not for us. And so, yeah, we need to identify which is a good referral to us. But for us, it's a pretty broad net. But if I had niche down, I would obviously be looking for people within that niche. I'm supposed to follow the adult film industry comments? Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, Two-part question and really great presentation, Daryl. Thank you very much. Um, Thanks, so one, I'm to a point now where I've been a solopreneur. I'm doing all my editing, and I'm to a point now where I'm realizing if I'm going to grow my business, I need to start bringing on some other editors. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about the struggle of letting go of some of that control and having somebody else do the work? It was a little bit to your question a little bit earlier, but you know, of, of having uh, what you do to sort of get over that mental hump of bringing in people to, to do the work you've been doing. And then a uh, second part, um, have you had to fire clients and what that is like if you have a client that's, that's just not working out for whatever reason? Okay. By the way, Jonathan, you can grab one of these books. And John, the last one's yours. Um, I got 35 seconds to answer those. Okay. So in terms of hiring people on my team, I have a, a join our team link on our website where I'm getting important information. I want to know their experience, uh, their location, because sometimes I need an editor in a particular geographical location and so forth. We are Adobe Audition exclusive. That is so that if one of our uh, editors is on vacation or something, we can take that template that he has created or she has created for that client and give it to this other editor for the week. And it's a seamless transition for our client. So it's important for us all to be on the same DAW. Um, so if they're not on Adobe Audition, they may be great, but they're not the right fit for us. Once uh, I've read through that, then uh, I, I, I will bring them in for an interview uh, on Zoom, try to get their personality, if it's going to be a good fit, what's their heart, are they ready to serve, those types of things. And then I give them a, um, 
a test project that I know is ugly. It's got some tough spots and some points where they're going to have to make a decision on content that's going to tell me how they're evaluating audio. And if they no, no one passes that the first time, I then give them feedback, and that gives me a chance to see how they respond to criticism or feedback. And then after the end of all that, if we like each other, then we'll bring them on. So I've, I've got a pretty robust uh, process for that. In terms of firing clients, um, it's not easy. But when I reach a point where I need to fire a client, if it's just because it's not a good fit for us, I will try to find someone else in the industry that I can refer them to so that I'm kind of alleviating that pain for them. Um, otherwise, it's, uh, it's just letting them know it's not working out. Uh, going back to my invoicing thing, one of the times I haven't gotten paid is when I had to fire a client and we didn't get that money before we did that. And that was a painful mistake. So, all right, I am out of time. I'll be out in the hallway if you guys have other questions, though. Thank you.